Well, good morning, Anthem Church. I was uh, just informed by text from Nathan this morning that the kids were going to be joining us today as well. And so I'm going to speak quickly and uh, try to be as captivating for the three to five-year-olds in here as well. So if I have any short little narrations or actions I do up here to try to reel them in, well, that's, that's for you guys. If you're five, it's good to have you this morning. But anyway, uh, my name is Nick Serene. I get to help direct worship and formation here at Anthem. And so what that means is Sunday mornings, I help oversee the music, oversee the music on Thursday nights as well. And then this new role, uh, stepping into just looking at how do we do discipleship at Anthem. That's kind of a new role, getting figured out as uh, we're, we're doing it. But it's fun to talk about discipleship and be a church that's about just helping one another know, love, and obey Jesus. And we've been doing that since the beginning, and we're going to keep talking about that until uh, the Lord comes back. And so anyway, though, this morning we're going to be in Psalm 90. So go ahead, get out your Bibles. We love having Bibles out in front of us. So get out your Bibles, turn to Psalm 90, and as you're doing that, uh, I'm going to share a bit of a history of the guy who wrote this psalm. So most of Psalms was, was penned by King David, as, as many of you know, but this psalm and the psalm after it, Psalm 91, were both written by Moses, uh, according to scholars. And so what we know about Moses is as he was growing up, he grew up in a world of tension. Grew up in a world with, with kind of two polar opposite things going on. He grew up in a world that was full of progress and prestige and power, because he grew up in the Pharaoh dynasty. He grew up in, in the time when, think pyramids, mathematics, these things are developing. An exciting time in world history. But on the flip side, he also grew up with this tension because he was a Hebrew and he was a captive slave among these people. The Hebrews had been in captivity for almost 400 years at this point is, is, is being written by him. And he grew up in that world of tension. But God, because he had a rich plan for Moses, rescues him at, at three months old out of the basket through the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. And, and he is raised in this world of tension. But God had a specific plan for him. Even though at age 40, Moses hasn't necessarily done much that we know of throughout Scripture's history, at least. At 40, he has so much bitterness and hatred in his heart that he takes another man's life as he witnesses a slave driver pushing one of his Hebrew friends too hard. And he murders that man, but God still had a plan for him. Even though he wanders in the, the desert for the next 40 years from 40 until 80 and isn't with his people who are in bondage, God has a specific plan for him. Even when he's 80 years old and he's a stammerer, doesn't have great speech, is losing his strength, God had a specific plan for him. And so God goes to him in the desert and says, Moses, I'm going to have you lead my people. I'm going to have you lead them out of captivity and out of bondage. Moses has some pushback like we as humans like to have. But God pushes through and says, Moses, we're going to do this. So Moses and Aaron, they go to Egypt. And then Moses is on the adventure of a lifetime. The next 40 years from 80 until 120. Yeah, he died when he was really old. From 80 until 120, he's on the adventure of a lifetime with God. He witnesses God's presence on the burning bush, on the mountaintop. He witnesses God's presence through the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire that would lead them through the wilderness. He witnesses God's power, his provision, bringing them food when they had none, helping them cross through the Red Sea when it seemed like they couldn't. And he also witnessed God's wrath as well. As he made mistakes, he received punishment for them. 
as the people he was with. We're not always so easy to lead and we're not always looking after the Lord. He witnessed God's wrath there as well. And so I bring this up, I bring up Moses because I want to ask this question. How did he view God? After he had felt what he felt, seen what he's seen, done what he had done, whether good or evil throughout those years, how did he view God? And we can read in Exodus 15, should be up on the screen, how he did. After all of this, he says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. In verse 11, it says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, and doing wonders? Moses had a very big picture of God. He had a huge view of him. Where he saw God as mighty, he saw God as his salvation. And this morning, the question that I want us to be asking ourselves is, how do we view God in light of what we've felt in life, in light of what we've been through? Good, evil, tough, easy. How do we look at the God of the universe? Maybe currently you're in a spot where where you viewed him more so as a thief of good people, someone you knew who shouldn't have gone so early passed away and there's been bitterness in your heart towards God and it's like yeah God's a good idea but right now he seems more like a thief of good people or maybe you're in a, in a place where you've been a skeptic for years and it's like seems more like a concept no matter where you're at this morning I want us to be asking that question how do I view God in light of his word and in light of my life and what's happened and so this morning in psalm 90 that's the question we're going to be asking how to view god as the glorious god that he is and so i'm going to pray for us and we will go through psalm 90 with one another god i just pray for the next 20 minutes god that we would be able to hone in on your word and we'd be able to understand through this book this rich book this meaningful book who you are, God, that we would understand not through a lens of just, you know, our moment, our situation, but through a lens of this written word, who you are, God. And so I just pray over this time and that we would be able to view you as the good and glorious God that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalm 90, we will start in verse 1, and and pretty much the outline for this morning is we're going to look at three shifts that need to happen in the life of a believer in order to see God as the good and glorious creator that he is. And so let's read through Psalm 90 in full, written by Moses. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight or as but yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities, our sins before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? 
Here's the crescendo. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The first shift that we see here in the text, as we read through specifically the first two verses of Psalm 90, we can see that Moses has this push for his readers to see God as a resting place. In verse 1 it says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. So that means from Adam to Abraham to the time that Moses is writing this. He's saying from beginning to end, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are our dwelling place. You are our God. Even when our children might be going astray. Right? Like, like what happens with Cain in Genesis. Even when the, the children might be going astray, God is that resting place. God is that home that they could turn to. Even when the world is full of evil and a flood may be ensuing, God was their resting place and home for Noah and his family. Even when they were in captivity in Egypt, God was their resting place and refuge. And even when they were wandering in the wilderness for years on end, God was their resting place, that one thing that they could keep going back to over and over again. And so God is refuge, shelter, fortress, and haven. But the sad thing was most people around Moses didn't have that view of God. Right? The story of when Moses interacts with God at the burning bush and and the people of Israel... Without their leader, they start to turn a different direction. Without their leader, they start to follow after another God. They say, well, well Moses isn't here. Our connection to God isn't here. And, and therefore, who are we going to turn to? And they, they pool all their gold together. And they say, let's just make a God since we can't see him right now. And to them, God was more of a concept. He was that figure that Moses got to talk to, but a figure that they didn't know how to interact with. And so they turned away. And so what Moses is trying to help them do here as they read is shift their view of God from thinking, oh, religious concept that's unreachable, to know He is your resting place. He's your home. Another word for that is He's your harbor. No matter what storms might be going out there, whether your ship is taking on some water or not, God is your harbor. He's your resting place. He's your dwelling. I don't know if you guys have ever been caught in inclement weather before. Like the last three, four weeks here in Missouri, I think we've had some, some chances for that, some flooding, anything like that. I don't know if you've been in scary situations with weather before, but it feels pretty vulnerable and scary to be in a spot where you know there's a lot happening out there and you don't have a home or you don't have a harbor. You don't have a place you can go back to. But there's also nothing more beautiful than having a home and a harbor and a place to go back to when there is that storm. I remember when I was like nine years old growing up, we went to a family reunion always in northern Missouri in the Canesville area, tiny town. And there was, I think, 400 people that lived there, and we would go there every year, and I think there's 15, 20 campers and tents full of people that have my same last name. And there were three tornadoes one night in that little town. And I remember in that moment when I was eight, nine years old, just kind of freaking out. Like, what are we going to do? We have tents and there's these big swirling things that I haven't seen in person before. Freaky. 
vulnerable, scary. But by the grace of God, there, there was a shelter that we could go to, a place that had a foundation, a place that we could find rest. And so what Moses is helping his readers do here is see that God is not some religious, distant concept that we can't interact with. He's our resting place from everlasting to everlasting. The second shift that we can see in the text here is this call from Moses to see God not as a road wrecker, but the road out. So let's read verses 3 to 11 again. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? When I was first reading through that, I thought, well, actually, it actually does much more sound like God is a road wrecker and not the road out. As I read through that over and over, it was looking at this and thinking, wait, this is our good and great and glorious God. Is that who Moses is talking about? Verse 3, it says that God returns man to dust. Verse 5, it says God sweeps us away like a flood. Verse 7 says we are brought to an end by his wrath. We get 70 or 80 years and then we're done. First glance, it sounds like God is the road wrecker. God doesn't even give us a long life. Verse 4, it says like a watch in the night, like a dream, that's our life. Verse 9, like a sigh. That's fast. And that's our God. That's what he's given us. Verse 11 talks about toil and troubled lives. And at first glance, it sounds like he's not the road out, but the road wrecker. But what Moses is doing here through the text is showing them this is the reality of a broken world where we have sin and mess and muck from since the beginning. And he's distilling this tension of, yeah, life is going to have an end judgment in God because he's just is going to have a plan for the end where some will be with him forever and some will never be with him. And so he's fostering this interaction with his readers to see you need to, verse 11, consider the Lord. You need to consider his wrath and anger so that you would go to him as the road out. Exodus means road out. And that's who God is. He is the route out of this broken life that we have and he's going to redeem it in full. And so Moses, through pushing this tough-to-read information out there, is helping his readers see, okay, you need to consider the Lord, His power, His anger, and His wrath, so that you would go to Him in light of your sin, in light of your brokenness. And he wanted them to shift their view of God to see Him as the road out, the Passover lamb. In Psalm 91, the next chapter, Moses says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. We have that rest in our Lord. 
but he's also our redeemer and he's the road out of the trial that we're in and he's the road out of this broken world that we found ourselves in because of our sin, because of our brokenness. And a lot of times it's easy to see God as that road record. Just even this last year, I feel like there's 15 million things for me personally, maybe for some of you in here, for our church, where it's felt like, oh, it really seems like he's changed here. It seems like he's ruining the path. But he's not because he's great and he's glorious. For us as individuals, for our church, he's sifting and bringing us towards him, helping us become more holy, helping us become more like him. And so we not only need to see God as a resting place, but we have to see him as a road out. Let's read 12 to 17 and see how God is also our reason for life. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The first way that Moses is showing God is the reason for our life. He's not just our resting place. He's not just our road out. He's our reason for being here. The way that we can see that is in verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Give us direction, God. Help our hearts understand how to live wisely. We're not given a lot of years, God, but how can we use these years? Well, teach us, Lord, to have a heart of wisdom. He has this plea before the Lord for wisdom, for clarity, for life. He knew and understood his own tendency and people around him, their tendency would be to be ignorant towards what their reason for life was. He knew people's tendencies to squander the few short years that they were given. And so Moses is, is preaching to the people saying, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Because that's our reason for life. The Lord put us here for his goodness and for his work. And we can also see that he shows God as a reason for life through his plea for God's presence. In verse 13, he says, Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning. God, we want to be with you. We don't only want to know and understand what your purpose is for us, but we want to be with you. We want your presence. We're here. We're alive because, God, you're calling us to abide in you and be part of a relationship with you. Verse 14, he says, satisfy us with your love. Verse 16, he says, show us yourself in your work. In verse 17, he says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And we can see this plea for purpose and also this plea from Moses. And Moses had lived enough life to know that he needed God's presence to get anywhere in life. He needed God's presence. He needed God's presence and abiding relationship in order to lead those millions of people out of the wilderness and into the promised land. He needed the presence of God. I mean, he was pretty much president for like 40 years in a row for the people of Israel. Like, that's a pretty big task, right? Like, we look at presidents now, it's like four years. That seems daunting. And he had four, 40 years in a row, million people that he was helping oversee. And he's saying, we need to have not only purpose from God, but we need His presence. We need Him with us. 
because he knew he couldn't do it alone. And he had tried that before. So he's crying out before God, let the favor of you, God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands because we can't do it alone. But for most around Moses, they had more of that, yeah, God's just a check-in or God's just kind of a, a get-by sort of thing. And that's why over and over in the desert, they wandered because they didn't see God as their purpose for life. They didn't see the need for God's presence as important. And so they just kept going their own way over and over and over again. And what that led to for the people of Israel was a very small view of God. And when we have a very small view of God, it takes us down a road away from Him and towards a road of judgment. So Moses is crying out before the Lord and among His people that they would see God as the purpose giver and that they would crave His presence, that they would shift from seeing God as just a momentary check-in, maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, maybe just once a day. No, God is with us for every moment and His purposes are what we're here for and not our own. I was at my grandpa's funeral about a year ago and there was a song that my dad and uncle sang called Peaceful Harbor. And the words to that first verse are going to be up on the screen. It says, I've been sailing the seas for most of all these years, riding the crest of a wave made of tears. I've been drifting on a troubled sea, traveling aimlessly till I put my anchor down in peaceful harbor. For 45 years, my grandpa was wandering aimlessly. Not too different than the people of Israel wandering in the desert. He wasn't looking at God as his resting place, wasn't looking at God as his reason for life. But by the grace of God for the last 45 years, he was putting his hope in the anchor in Christ, in the peaceful harbor. And for you right now, maybe you're in here and you're thinking, man, I've been living a lot of my life just on my own trajectory, doing my own thing over and over and over again. And the idea of making God my resting place or the idea of shaping my life around God's reasons and not my own seems very distant and hard for you. And the call this morning for you would be to consider a relationship with Christ, understanding that it's through Him that we can have our true hope and purpose. And as we see a more glorious view of God for who He is, that's where the joy is at. That's where the purpose is at. Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Have you put your trust in Him? Have you confessed your sins? got on your knees before him and said, God, I need you to guide me. I haven't been making you my resting place. You're not my reason for life. I, I don't see you as the road out. Are you in that place where you need to confess your sins before him? Say, I'm done trying to walk this life alone. Or maybe you're in here and you've made that commitment. Maybe it's more so just there's this need in your life to kill complacency. And you're just kind of checked out. And you're not really seeing God as the reason for life. And you'll show up every once in a while to church. 
But you'll show up every once in a while before the Lord in your quiet time, but there's not this level of consistency. And so without that consistency and that communion with the Lord, that ongoing abiding relationship with the Lord, life feels helpless at times. You feel distant from God at times. You feel confused, misguided. feels like, yeah, I might have a compass, but it keeps the needles going all the wrong directions. If you're in that place, God calls us to make Him our reason for life every day. He's our purpose, and we're to be in his presence through our relationship. So are there things in your life that you need to push to the side so you can have that undistracted focus upon the Lord, that undistracted relationship with him? Where's your heart at this morning? How do you view God? How do you look at him? How we view God informs our life. And that's the question we want to send you guys out with today. What's my view of him and what action steps do I need to take in light of that? What more can I give up to him? What can I enter into that's going to promote his glory? What can I enter into that's going to help other people see a glorious view of God as well? What's that move this morning?